Well, welcome back to uh, Transcendent, and uh, I am Joe Jones, and I'm the dad. And I am Raya Jones, and I'm the daughter. Hey, Raya, I got to tell you about a book I just finished. It was called The Girl I Left Behind. It was a Japanese story translated into English, and I read this story, and I kind of thought that it's really appropriate in some way to what we want to discuss here about accepting each other and accepting uh, the situation of our LGBTQ person coming out. And what re- what it re- what the story is about, it's about the end of World War II. Japan is devastated. Uh, there's so many things that are making it difficult for people to live. They don't know where they're getting food from. It's really difficult. And this girl from northern part of Japan doesn't know what to do. Her father has died, and there's no money. And then her mother gets sick and died. She's alone, so she goes to Tokyo. And she... There's nothing she can do. There's no, she doesn't have a skill set. She didn't even learn how to um, do enough things to be able to support herself. So she got a job in a bar. And that's about what all of the girls were able to do. Get a job in a bar and hope for tips and, and try to wine and dine the guys that came in there. Well, she did have a boyfriend. And the book is written from the boyfriend's point of view. She was in the bar, and one time she noticed that she was having some kind of a problem. with. Uh, she had a skin problem on her face, and it bothered her, and her boyfriend was bothered about it, and finally he told her to go to the bo- uh, doctor. Well, she went, and she was diagnosed with Hansen's disease. That's leprosy but now called Hansen's disease. And so they told her they had she had to go to a leper colony, but leper colonies, even after World War II, didn't exist much. But there was a place that she could go to that was run by Catholic nuns, and they took care of people who had Hansen's disease. So she packed her bags, got on the train, went to this place. It was not that far outside of Tokyo, probably an hour and a half by train. She got there. She got off the train. The doors opened up, and as she walked out, she could see at the end of a long road the Hansen's disease area there. She walked down, and it was just devastating. She came in, and she sat down, they put her they welcomed her they assigned her to a room she had a roommate and for a week she cried all she could do is cry she couldn't imagine finally after a week one of the nuns came in and said okay that's enough now you two girls you just came here and i understand there's problems here but there's a lot of people that are a lot further in this disease than you are so while you are here now you have to help us. You be, you have to begin working and helping us because there's a time when you're going to need help. And so you have to earn your keep. You're going to be 
washing bed sheets or you're going to be making food or you're going to be cleaning. You're going to be serving those who cannot serve themselves. And so she did for two years. After about six months, she noticed her roommate was getting worse and she wasn't. After about a year, her roommate was moved to another spot because she was worse. And yet this girl was not getting any worse. She was the same. They brought in a new roommate who was early in the early stages of Hansen's disease. And eventually, after about a year and a half, they couldn't understand why she wasn't getting any worse. Well, about a year and nine months later, they had her re-examined by people who diagnosed her and they discovered they were wrong. It was a wrong diagnosis. She did not have Hansen's disease. What she had was benign, and it wasn't a serious problem at all. But they didn't know that. So being misdiagnosed, she said, I can leave now. I can go home. I can be back with society. So... She left. She packed her bags, walked to the train station. The train came, and she turned around and looked one last time at the building she was in where the people with Hansen's disease were. She turned and looked at the train. The doors closed, and the train left. She picked up her bags and went back. She realized that this was her life now. Her life was serving others. She realized that she'd actually found what she could do in life that really mattered. Now, what changed? Nothing really changed. What changed was her attitude about what she was doing. She suddenly realized once she accepted it, it was fine. It's what she wanted. And that was just a whole new revelation to her. She didn't have to go back and work in a bar. She had a career. She had a, she had a life. She had a lifestyle. She had a purpose in life. And it gave her a whole new fresh on life. And I think there's a situation like that with us when suddenly, as a parent, I'm told, just up front that, oh, there's a situation here that's different from what I expected. Is And then first there's that long acceptance period. But then there could be the, the period that if you were suddenly removed from that relationship completely, you may want to turn back and say, wait a minute, this is a relationship I want. And and that, I think, is the kind of thing I think of when I think about that kind of a relationship with your child. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about parents and how parents can react when their children come out. And so some parents will have exactly that situation that originally, maybe most parents, feel like, I don't know how I'm going to react to this, how I'm going to respond to this. Cry for a week. 
and cry for a week. And then eventually you come to terms with it. You come to grips with it. And then when you think, you know what, actually, uh, if I could have something, if I could have it different than this, I wouldn't want that because now I know who my child is. I have a better understanding of who my child actually is rather than who my child was pretending to be for my sake. I see my child, you, in in a in a completely happier situation, in in a situation that you're comfortable with, in a situation that says this is my life now, and you've accepted it, and it makes you a much more um, comfortable person in your life, and for me to see. Well, I'd like to bring you back to something that you're not comfortable with. Doesn't make sense. Not at all. No, and I appreciate that very much. It, it is. I've always described it as life before transition was like black and white. It didn't feel right, and now it's Technicolor. It feels like wow, this is so much. It's like Dorothy when she steps into Oz, and you know, <laughs> wow, there's color now and things. So, uh, and and I like that that that. Um, the story that you shared about how she realized this is where I belong. And once you come to terms with it, eventually you find out this is where I belong. And some parents even say, you know what? Let's start a podcast talking about this. (laughs) Um, The power of parents is so critical when we're talking about LGBTQ people, uh, children coming out, the most critical thing is to have the acceptance of a parent. And we know how much parents influence us because, you know, how many of us say, I am not going to be like my parents. And then, of course, you grow up and you become exactly like your parents. You know, we all say, I'm not going to raise my kids like mom and dad did. We don't all say that, but many people do. And then they end up doing the exact same things. Uh, so, like, for me, I've always said, I'm not going to tell those same corny jokes that you tell. <laughs> and yet... I find myself telling them all the time and my kids roll their eyes or roll, roll their eyes at me and all of my jokes. And, uh, and yet now Megan, who is now off in college, she's 21 now. And now I hear her telling those same jokes. That's right. Exactly. And, and she laughs and she says, yeah, I, I know I'll tell those jokes forever. <laughs> and that's how it goes. We are so influenced by one another. So the power that parents have is so, so much. It's so critical that parents respond correctly. If you respond incorrectly, you can really end up doing a lot of damage and, and really causing a lot of hurt to your children. It's, it's the same way when you're disciplining your children. There's a good way and a bad way. And I can tell you, I am not a perfect parent. And I don't think anyone is. Oh, shoot. I was really thinking, here, we got the perfect parent. (laughs) We're going to go ahead and put you on a pedestal and say, you're the perfect parent. Where's my plaque? (laughs) But I do think that it's always a learning curve. You're always learning as you go along, and you're learning how to do it better. But when you get to the point where it's something like this that's really a a complete – change in the way that you thought you had a relationship with your child. It can be completely different. 
to me, there's a lot of reactions to that that you can have. I shared in an earlier podcast that when I first heard this from you, I didn't react at all. I accepted it as though you just told me what you had for lunch. And it wasn't that I I was really just processing it inside. And the first thing I thought of, either I accept it or I lose you. I knew that. That's the one thing I kept thinking over and over in my mind. And I think that's the one thing that was critical enough to carry me through all this. But the reaction that you can get, the reactions that I could have done, is completely different from what I did. But I think any one of those thoughts would have been a concern for you. And it would have made it more difficult for you as well as for me. And it would have it would have injured our relationship, which I should say before this was very close. I always thought of you as my best friend. Mm-hmm. We were very close. When we worked together at Jones Publishing, we I, I feel like we had the best working relationship of anybody I've ever had a working relationship with ever. We really worked together well. Exactly. I remember coming in when I was a kid and seeing you working together with Scott and you had a really close relationship and then that sort of fell apart and it didn't you as he went a different way and that didn't really pan out the way that we kind of thought but i feel like when you and i worked together and i've seen that through the years as you've worked with one person or another person who kind of ended up becoming a right-hand person but you and i worked together very very well i think we sure did better than anyone that i've ever seen you work with before so exactly yeah. well for one thing we're both idea people yeah we, we both are we were, like you say, are. big picture people, mm-hmm. and that that's unfortunate because if one of us was more about the details, it probably would have looked a little bit better, right? But uh, but we did have people for that as well, so that did make a difference. But for us to work together in just not only building the business, but also running the business, and also traveling together, and just a variety of things that we did. We would, we would share with each other. We would, we would feed on each other, and we would get excited about each other's ideas. Absolutely, yes, we sure did. Yeah, we had a lot of road trips where we would come back. I remember driving back from Florida with you, and and just all the fun we played the game. We played a game with the uh, Sirius XM. Do you remember this? Yes, we I do. We played a game that we had the '50s station, the '60s station, the '70s station, the '80s, the '90s, and then the the '2000s station. We would flip through. Uh, and we would try to guess the artist in each decade. And you, of course, were really good on the 50s and 60s ones. I, of course, was really good on the 80s and 90s ones. And then we were both about equal in the 70s. And That's it was right. a fun game that we would play. Uh, but between that, then we talked about business ideas and the, the, the new ideas. And it was we just had such a great time. We did. I think that in some ways, having such a close relationship can actually make it harder when the child comes out because since you are so close it's like here's this hidden part that all of a sudden comes out oh i didn't know that that was there you had no idea did you no no you're right no absolutely i didn't and most people didn't i did a very good job of hiding it uh, because i didn't want anyone to know i'm not sure you always knew yourself 
Well, it depends on what you mean by knowing. I always knew, but I didn't know what it was that I knew. Mm-hmm. I knew that I had a secret and I knew that there was, there was something. And if there was somebody that was there that could help draw it out, what that secret was, it would have been very clear very quickly. One of the things that was difficult for you, I think, is that you had worked earlier as a pastor and you had somebody else in the church that you had a lot of respect for that didn't accept what you were talking about at all and made it difficult for you. There were definitely issues with the church, absolutely. But I would say that the... The issues with the church were really not about people. You know, oftentimes people will say that. They'll come back and they'll assume that LGBTQ people really get hurt by the church. And and I think that there is absolutely a lot of that. But for me, I was not really hurt by people. There were a few people that said a few things. But in general, the hurt that I experienced was not from that. It was about the the beliefs that I had. That was much more difficult for me to, well, to reconcile my my beliefs and my faith and my understanding. And you can tune into a later podcast, which we're going to do an entire show about that. So to sum up, the secret that will save your relationship is accepting that it won't change. Just like the girl that you talked about in the book. Exactly. She understood that that people that had Hansen's disease, that was with them for life. And it wasn't going to change. But she also realized that it was her calling. And it was because it was her calling, she was able to identify when she walked away and thought, this is the end. I am, I'm done with this. I can move on with my life. She realized it was her life. And when we're in a situation where where me as a as a parent, I have one of my children coming out, I realize that's not going to change. That's a reality. And when I accept that reality, I don't get on the train and go away. I turn around and walk back. That's easier said than done. It's it's easy to talk about and think, oh, sure, we can go ahead and do this. But what does that look like in practice? We're going to talk about that next time. We're going to go through seven practical things you can do. Our next episode is going to be seven behaviors that show meaningful acceptance. A meaningful acceptance is what this podcast has been all about. And you're going to see meaningful acceptance number two coming up next week. Right, because it's so important that we learn to create positive relationships together. We would love your feedback in the meantime. Go ahead and send us an email if you have a question or a comment or any kind of response to what we talked about here today. You can email us. Our email is transcendent at gmail.com. And we're looking forward to hearing from you. And I hope you're looking forward to hearing from us next week. And don't forget to tell your friends to tune in. And you can get this wherever you find your podcasts.